0: Elevation charts, how to train specific to the race that you are training for. Do you even know what the elevation looks like for your next race, even if it's a 5K? Often, we don't think about studying these elevation charts. Or if we do look at the elevation charts, we're really just not quite sure how to read them. It is important to make sure you are reading the elevation charts correctly before jumping to the conclusion that your race is hilly, flat, or just some rolling hills. We are going to chat today about what to look for in a course and how to find the elevation maps that can help you see what sort of hills will be on the course. Today I have with me today Jason Phillippe, who is a coach here at Run for PRs and has over a decade of run coaching experience, as well as 20 years of competitive running experience himself. Jason coached at the high school and college level, as well as now coaching road runners and adult runners um, with Room for PRs for the half marathon, marathon, and shorter distance races as well. Um, Jason has done several marathons himself, including Boston twice, and I am Victoria. I am the owner of Room for PRs. I've been coaching since 2013. I have done 19 marathons, so I definitely have read my fair share of elevation charts in the past, and I have Also made mistakes in reading them incorrectly or thinking that I knew what the course was going to entail based on certain elevation charts. Um, I've done a variety of different races across the country, and it's just really interesting because for some people living in Colorado, the definition of hilly is totally different than someone who maybe lives in Nebraska or even in Minnesota. It's pretty flat compared to other parts of the country. Country. And so we're just going to be chatting a little bit about elevation and elevation gains on your runs and maybe what to look for when you're looking at elevation maps for the courses that you're training for, because sometimes they can be really misleading. So Jason, do you ever look at elevation charts before you sign up for a race? Um, do you use this as a filtering to if you want to do the race or not?
1: Yeah, uh, great questions. I. In the past, you know, we've picked our marathons that we've wanted to travel to um, for a couple of reasons. Obviously, the destination is exciting for us, like we want to go to Florida or we want to go to, you know, Colorado or wherever. And um, a lot of times we're willing to accept uh, the, the course the way it is. And so we'll just kind of train accordingly. Obviously, when you want to do the Boston Marathon, you're going you're gonna to train and prepare for the hills. Um thinking back to some of the other races that we've done, um, you know, we've done CIM. So I'm sure we'll touch on that course a little bit. Um, we've done, um, Disney, um, um, the Vegas marathon. So, you know, we pick some court, we pick some races where, um, you know, some, some have hills and some don't. And I think it just boils down to what excites you most about running. And then, um, you'll pick a place or a race, um, that gets you excited. And, um, you know, um, I know that there's been times where we've, we've leaned towards faster races. Like I picked the Chicago marathon back in 2012 because I, I knew it was faster than twin cities and I wanted a PR. Um, so that wasn't a chance for me to, um, you know, not have to travel too far and, and get to run on somewhat of a flatter course. Um, but as far as like paying attention to all the elevation charts on the websites, I really don't unless, um, you know, unless I'm just really curious, you know, we figure out where we want to go and then I'm, I'm going to look just to make sure that I'm training the right way. Obviously, if I if a course ends up being super hilly, I want to make sure um I'm prepared for it. And you know, when when we did go to Boston the first year, um you know, we didn't even have to look at the elevation chart cuz we had just known from talking to people and you know, seeing things online that Boston had some hills, right? And so we prepared for that course obviously. Um, I never pay attention to elevation when, if it's anything less than about a half marathon, I just haven't re- really ever looked. Um, so any local 5k race, I couldn't even tell you, um, how hilly they were.
0: Yeah, definitely an interesting topic because for me right now, I feel like elevation charts are really something on my radar. Like if I'm training for a race, I want to find the fastest, flattest, best course, um, for me. But, you know, back when I first started running or even first started marathoning competitively, I don't even think elevation was on my radar. Um, Obviously, if you said to me, oh, this is a super hilly, challenging course, I would maybe be a little bit afraid. But I think the general consensus back then when I first started marathoning, at least the first two or three years was, you know, most courses are pretty much the same, right? So I, you know, signed up for my first marathon. It was extremely hilly. My second marathon was also hilly. And so I just kind of got into this mindset of, you know, marathons are hilly. You're covering 26.2 miles. Of course, there's going to be hills somewhere, right? Um, And it wasn't really until... Later on where I started realizing, oh my gosh, I think the hills are maybe slowing me down. I wonder what I could run on a faster course, right? So then I think it started with 5Ks. It's, it's like I would run a really slow 5K time in comparison to my PR and I'd I'd think, oh, I lost fitness. And then you would maybe make a comment after the race and be like, no, it was a really hilly course. And I'm like, well, that doesn't really matter if there was one or two hills. Because sometimes it was really just one or two hills that slowed down your 5k time. And I think those are the races where you really notice, okay, this did really affect my pace. So just on like a 5k course, like a hilly one we've, we've ran, maybe that one in coon rapids i don't know like 2016 that was -hmm. a pretty hilly course um like in these parks sometimes you go into a park and it's, it's very hilly and you're like, oh no, it's going to be a hilly course. And you start driving on it and you're like, shoot, this is going to be super hilly. Um, so how do you navigate when it's like a 5k? How do you pace and how do you figure out if your 5k before we dive into marathon stuff is going to be hilly? And how do you adjust for that? Because obviously you're not going to like PR the 5k um, if you're already really, you know, more towards your potential in that race on a hilly course so how do you figure out if it's going to be hilly and then what are some tips that you would give to someone
1: yeah definitely a loaded question um if i'm not familiar with the course i'm going to try to get out and warm up on it as much as possible just so i can kind of get a feel for it um and as if i'm unsure during the race i'm just going to approach it normally and then if i see a hill i'm going to just conserve a little bit of energy, uh, depending on the, the, you know, the length of the hill and also the, the incline or the, um, the steepness of the hill. So Mm -hmm. I might drop my effort back, you know, 10% or 15%, um, just a little bit, just not knowing what, what else might happen right after that. And so, um, yeah, the beauty with these five Ks is that like, you know, if some of them are starting finish in the same spot, so what goes down must, or what goes up must come down at some point. Right. So you have to you, you know, look forward to that and getting a chance to make up some of that lost time down the hill. Um, but those point to point races, that's where there's some uncertainty if you've never done the race before. So I think, um, you know, now I, I, I have learned to obviously get on like map my or GMap ahead of time. And if you know the course, you can map it out, um, and, and kind of see what the elevation gain is. And that's kind of helpful if you're curious. Um, yeah, it depends on if the website is going to be detailed on the, on there about where, you know, let's say they say there's a big hill during the third mile. Well, then you're going to kind of plan for that and prepare for that. Or let's say the the only hills in the first mile, you're going to go out more conservative to make sure you are conserving that energy.
0: Yeah, you brought up a lot of really good points. And I think the biggest thing is doing that, you know, warm up on, on the course and kind of scoping out, figuring out, okay, where are these hills located um, if you're not able to get that uh, that elevation map, it, it would be nice to be able to just go at least starting at either the start of the, I like to start at the finish and kind of go that way. So I know what to expect at the end of the race, because being able to visualize the end of the race and how I want to feel will give me a better idea. So I'll I'll go out one mile and come back. So I, I at least know, okay, this is what the last mile of the race looks like. Um, There was one time, the Torchlight 5K is a really famous one um, downtown Minneapolis, and usually it's a pretty flat to downhill course, um, a great one for a 5K PR, and then they rerouted this uh, race. In 2019, so the last year it was actually live, and when they did that, um, they go, oh yeah, it's just gonna go up some some hills at the end, and I was like, whoa, wait, it's gonna go up where? And they're like, oh, just up a bridge, and I I knew where it was going because it was a route that I had ran so many times in the past. And I said to myself, that is not just some little bridge. I was like, that is a very steep incline followed by another very big incline. And when you're at the end of a race, so this is going to be in the last one K of a five K. And I was like, no, I'm gonna be so gassed, you know, like I, I can't do this. So I had to replan in my head how I was gonna approach the race. Um, basically, saying to myself the entire time I was running, okay, you need to play it conservative because that last 1k, you are going to die if you race too hard. You know, like you have to have something extra left at the end to actually finish strong. And I I just remember um, being really conservative about it. People were like you know, blowing by me at the, at the start of the race. And I was like, it's okay. Like I'm going to feel strong on these hills. And it was actually one of like the best finishes I think I've had in a 5k, even given the fact that there was that uphill finish and I didn't run too far off of like where I thought my fitness was at. So I really think that while it could be scary to think, Oh, it's a hilly 5k, I'm not going to PR. You could also say, no, it's just, I need to approach the race differently. And that's why I think the elevation gain and the hilly courses can be challenging because if you don't approach them correctly, it can be a crash and burn situation. Um, And I know like for past historic races, sometimes I go to a 5K and if you pace it wrong or if you approach it wrong, you're about a minute off what you normally would be. And that's a lot in a 5K. And so things can go downhill pretty quickly if you don't pace correctly. Because what happens when you're going up a hill is that You know, the effort is not equal. And so, if you're too much a slave to your Garmin, um, that is where things can kind of get tricky. So, I do think it's more of an advanced concept to learn pacing on hills. So, what are some ways that you approach hills in a race? Um, You know, obviously, you did the Torchlight 5K that year as well, where there were hills at the end. Do you approach hills at the end of a race versus in the beginning of the race differently? And if so, how do you know what pace to run on hills?
1: Um, you know, I would say in my mind I probably think I'm approaching it similarly where I'm just going to um probably slow down about 10 to 15 seconds per mile, I would say if it's a 5K. Um, you know, at the beginning of the race it's it can be tough because you're trying to establish position and you have a ton of energy obviously. Um so you might be more likely not to slow down as much as you think you should or as much as, you know. So, uh but later on in the race, I think um yeah. I would probably say I would conserve maybe just a little bit more, but, um, you know, thinking back to that race, I knew that after we got kind of up the bridge, we got to kind of come down and it was a nice like downhill finish. So I wasn't too worried. Um, a lot of times I'll, I'll just, um, try to just stick with the people that I'm around. I'll use that kind of as a, a gauge or a guide. And, um, I'll, I'll try to almost in my mind, make it like a challenge where I say, okay, once we get to the top of this hill, I want to try to slowly pick it up a little so i can just pull away from this person and see if i you know see if i you know, can kind of take pride in the fact that i was able to conserve some more energy on this hill than they were and so you know just things that you can do to take your mind off what you're actually doing when you're going up the hill you know obviously you're gonna um, maybe just slightly shorten your stride up a bit maybe a slight forward lean and just kind of have a faster cadence just to um, take off some of that extra pounding
0: Yeah, this is so much information. I feel like if you're someone who is so used to following the garment and wanting to know exactly what split you should hit at exactly each time, right? And so the biggest thing is not to look at your garment, I think. You have to just really know your pace and that's why doing a lot of workouts and training, um, super important. So sometimes What you can do to incorporate these things in your training is hit a super flat stretch or go to the track. And when you're in the intervals, like, you know, if you're training for a 5K, you maybe are going to have 1K repeats, 800s, maybe 400s at 5K pace. And so the idea would be that when you're in these workouts that you at times do not look at your watch and you ask yourself, is this how this is supposed to feel? This is how 5K pace feels. And you register that in your brain so that you know exactly what pace and effort Effort, you need to be running for the race. Um, and when you're doing it on a really flat surface, I feel like it's easier to learn pacing and it's easier to kind of check to make sure you're, you're in line with that. Um, and then once you feel comfortable kind of doing that on a track, like you really understand your paces, you feel comfortable, um, that's when I think it would be safe to kind of get off the track doing some you know, speed work On rolling hills, doing some tempo runs on rolling hills and being comfortable with the fact that, you know, yeah, going uphill, you are going to slow down and going downhill, you're going to speed up. So you just have to be comfortable with the varying speeds, but knowing that the effort is the same and teaching your body how to get into those effort ranges is super key so starting with the track workouts and then moving on to rolling hills you don't want to have like the track workouts be your clutch forever Um, it is really important to get out on rolling hills and do workouts on rolling hills for that reason because you're training for these specific races so unless you're living in a state like florida or texas and you plan to never run outside of your state and you never plan to run any races that have any hills at all then you can probably ignore this. But, you know, from the majority of us, we're training for races that are going to have some hills. So it is really important to incorporate hills into your training. And we've made the mistake in the past where we we travel to um different locations. I think the LA Marathon was the one that really got us. <laughs> we thought that the LA Marathon was gonna be a fast course. And I think that it can be a fast course if you're in shape for it and you train correctly for it. Um, The last couple of miles are very, very downhill, but there are a lot of rolling hills and some uphills um, in the race as well. So if you're going there thinking that it's just gonna be, Relatively flat, and then like a downhill finish, you are wrong, you know. So, this is when we're gonna gonna get into how to read an elevation map and maybe how to incorporate um, hills into your training for like the longer races, especially when you're coming from an area that doesn't have a lot of hills, like we are here in Minnesota when we go out to, you know, Boston or LA or, you know, even Colorado. So, Yeah. Jason, when it comes to reading these elevation maps, I know you're probably familiar with going online. What, how do you pull up an elevation map? What do you look for? Um, what are like the key things that you look at when you just glance at it to know, okay, this is a race that could be fast versus not.
1: Yeah. Most websites, especially if it's a half or a full are going to have a course map on there with the elevation profile. And, um, you know, there's a couple different ways you can read it. Um, obviously, you know, you don't want to just look at the curve because, um, just because you see something that's really curvy doesn't always mean that it's going to be full of like rolling hills. Like you might think it, you have to look at more of the, the axis. Um, so look at like, you know, here's an example we have. Yeah. Oh, the Chicago marathon. She's showing me one right now. It looks like a roller coaster, um, because on the axis it's got fifth, it's got 590 feet and then it's got 600 feet. So there's only 10 feet difference. <laughs> Um, whereas other races might have like a hundred feet in between, or even like 200 feet in between. So it might say it might be like 400, 600, 800. And, you know, obviously if you see a spike from 400 up to 800, that's going to be a huge, that's going to be hilly. So it's really about what is the access? How close are those numbers together? Um, and you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes these profiles can look, they can make a hilly course look flat and vice versa. They can make a flat course look hilly. And so don't be fooled by that. Um, that's where, you know, it's, there's also a lot of, um, reviews out there for especially marathons that have been going on for a long time. So you can read the reviews. I found those to be very helpful. People will get very descriptive. They'll tell you exactly like where the biggest hills are on the course. Um, and that's something I wish we would have done for LA because I would have learned like that there's, there's a huge giant hill, um, at mile four. And then there's a huge downhill drop at like mile 15. And so those are the things that I want to know about, um, if you look at the elevation profile, she's showing me California International. I'll let her speak to that.
0: Yeah, and there's just so many different, like the access is very important to look at when you're trying to decode these, these races. Sometimes looking at an access that has 100 feet in between is is great. It'll show you, you know, how hilly it is in relation to 100 feet, right? Um, but other times it's better to kind of zoom in. Maybe you need something where it's it's going to go by 50 feet, right? So California International Marathon, when you look up the elevation chart for that on Five My Marathon, it literally looks like it is just a slippery slope downhill. Um, it's a super fast course. That's what it looks like when I look at it. But then if I pull up an elevation chart that goes by 50s on the, the access by 50 feet, you can start to kind of see, oh, actually, it's a lot of rolling hills with a net downhill. So kind of like the Boston Marathon, um, there are a lot of hills on that course. And in when you look at the first elevation profile, it doesn't really show you that. So I think it's really important to look at multiple different elevation maps. So don't just like find one and be like, oh, this one looks great. Um, do your research and really look at different different ways that they're being um, shown through different, you know, okay, 50 feet versus hundred feet on the access versus like 10 feet. Cause then you can really see how many hills there are, um, how big are they and everything like that. Cause sometimes like the, there's hidden things in the race that you're not going to find on one specific elevation map. Um, and then just being, being aware that if there are, you know, ups and downs on there, just because there's that net down, doesn't mean there's not going to be a ton of uphill along the way. Um, because the California international marathon, just for example, is one that looks very fast. It looks downhill, but there are a ton of uphill portions in the race as well. Um, and that's really important to know because if you're training for that race, you need to incorporate, um, hill work, right? You have to do hills. Otherwise it's just not going to end well. So in order to To perform well on these hillier marathons like Boston or New York City, um, CIM, you have to train on hills. Um, One of the races that you can kind of get away with, not a lot of... Uh, Hill work would be like the Chicago marathon. It's very pancake flat. Um, Disney World marathons, pretty flat. There are not a lot of super flat marathons out there, but they do exist. So if you're just going to cherry pick and kind of pick the ones that don't have any hills, um, then that's totally fine. You don't need to really train on hills. But when we're talking about this topic of elevation gain and hills, it, it's important to, to understand that it's all relative to like where you're living, right? So what I consider hilly and maybe what you consider hilly are not the same thing. Um, and I think that's important to know. So when we're, when we're talking in terms of like training for the Boston Marathon and we're saying you need to train on hills, Jason, what would you consider you know, a hilly run if you're just going to go out and do a five-mile run, and you look at the elevation when you're done, what do you personally consider hilly?
1: Yeah, uh, good question. I, You know, if I'm training for a course like Boston, I'm going to pay attention to both the gain and the loss because obviously you're going to be running down a lot of hills as well. If you're more worried about the uphill, then I'm only going to really focus on the gain. Um, What I consider to be like a decent amount of gain in a mile, I would say would be like 30 to 60 feet of gain. Um, considered a lot would be probably like 70 to 100. Um, so I think that equates to maybe like 1.5 to 2% incline on a treadmill. Um, so thinking about running at that pace or at that incline for a mile, that's kind of a lot. If you're accumulating 100 feet gain in a mile, um, that's pretty good. And that I would consider that pretty hilly because when we think about running like five miles, for example, if you're at 500 feet of gain, that's quite a bit of gain um for a five mile run i would say that's that's pretty hilly
0: right yeah and i think another thing that's important to note is hills outside versus hills on the treadmill are kind of two different beasts right so usually on the treadmill if you're just gonna like set it to 1.5 and go um that's completely different than if you're going outside and you're running five miles with uh what like about a 400 300 foot gain it's the same Elevation climbing, but usually if you're outside, you're also going to get a lot of those downhills. And so your elevation, like the net between the downhill and the uphill is gonna be like 700 foot difference. And so when you're going up hills outside, when you have that downhill counter, you're actually going up steeper hills than you are on the treadmill. So if you just like set it and go on the treadmill 1.5, it's just not working the muscles in the same way as running outside on rolling hills. So what I recommend people do if they don't have access to hills outside or if they're stuck on the treadmill inside for easy miles is really varying that incline. So maybe you're at 0% for for two minutes and then you knock it up to like 3% for a minute and you slowly gradually get to that 3%. It's like you have to simulate you would be running outside, right? So a typical hill outside would maybe last two minutes and you would kind of start it lower and it would peak maybe around five, 6% on the treadmill. And then it would come back down um, once you reach the peak of that hill. And so that's what you want to assimilate on the treadmill. Otherwise, if you're just knocking it out, oh, two percent for five miles, it's not, it's not the same. And so I know some of those programs out there, these newer treadmills, they have courses that you can assimilate, which is really cool. Um, But also keep that in mind. Don't just set it and go. Try to do some rolling hills um, to, to mimic what you would be facing outside. I personally think for, if you're training for Boston, you have to keep in mind that you need to find really large hills right there's a lot of elevation changing going on um and there are some huge hills that are at boston that we just don't have really in the midwest um i know the three years i trained for boston i the first year i had no idea really what we were getting ourselves into but once i saw the course in boston i remember thinking to myself there aren't hills that exist that are the same as these So it really puts things in perspective where we're living in Minnesota. There's just not as many hills as other parts of the country. So you really have to be intentional about seeking them out. Um, I would say for, you know, if you're training for a hilly marathon course and your 15 mile long runs should have at least a thousand feet of gain, um, that should be pretty much a minimal and then you'll, you'll be more prepared and also doing workouts on hills. So that's another thing that's really important. Not only do you need to run on hills for easier runs or long runs, you have to do workouts on hills. So you have to get used to running marathon pace effort on hills and teaching your body how to run fast uphill. So Jason, do you ever have athletes that kind of like stray away from doing workouts on hills or they always try to pick the flatter route what do you usually find happens come race day if someone you know avoids hills and maybe this is something that you've done yourself
1: yeah um definitely you know in the past we've lived in neighborhoods where there might only be like one or two hills and so we typically avoid them because it's easy to just kind of go and stick to your flat routes um and then when I've done a race where it is pretty hilly, I notice like it's not usually one of my better races. And so kinda notice that pattern with some of the athletes I've worked with as well. Um if you know, if they comment about it being a hilly course or their legs just felt really fatigued or, you know, everything was aching, that sort of thing, especially if it's like a longer race, like a half or even um, you know, twenty five K, something like that. Um or a trail race uh, a lot of times that's where we'll have that conversation of well you know let's let's look at some of your easy runs and how frequently do you feel you're incorporating you know like what i would consider gentle rolling hills into your runs and so that's definitely something um to think about and i've noticed like as we've lived in kind of about four or five different neighborhoods over the last decade when we have lived in the hillier areas um i felt much stronger when we show up to these races that have some hills um, just more confident. And I noticed my legs don't get fatigued as as fast. And so, um, you know, like the first year we ran Boston, yeah, it was hilly, but we, man, did we train for the hills. And so I think that, um, it's all about, you know, your mindset and your, your approach to your training.
0: Yeah. I do find it a little ironic that, the years where we lived in hillier neighborhoods it's like i ran significantly faster across the board um versus the years where we lived in like these flatter areas i just didn't have that extra like kick or pep in my step really um and so i do think the hills do help you so if you're someone who lives in a hillier area or if you're someone who used to be like me where i would like avoid hills like the plug cuz i don't like to see you know my pace Slow down, or if it's on Strava, you know what I mean. Like those sort of things. It's not good to avoid hills um, in general. It's it's nice to incorporate them into training so that you are prepared for all sorts of courses. And even if you train on hilly terrain and your race is flat, you're actually going to be stronger when it comes to that course and you're going to be able to run, um, faster. So in terms of, you know, these downhill races that are really popular now, and it's actually funny because with, the the quarantine and all that stuff, a lot of races have been getting canceled, you know, the major marathons, like There was no Boston. There was no New York City. Um, There weren't really a lot of hilly races. There was no Twin Cities. Um, But, you know, one of the race series that, you know, just kept going and persevering on during this time is that Revel Race Series. And they are just notorious for having these races where legitimately they start on top of a mountain and you run down a mountain. And quite literally, you're losing 5,000 feet of gain in a marathon or you know two thousand and a half. Um that is the sort of situation that you're gonna be getting. And that's a lot, right? So if you're trying to compare, so I know runners love to compare or they like to post their PRs in their profile on Instagram. You know, they like to share their PRs. Like sometimes you meet a runner, you're like, what's your PR, right? So you you're comparing or I don't even know why that's a question, right? It's kinda dumb but I guess the question here is, do these downhill races count for marathon PRs, have marathon PRs? What is your stance on things there?
1: Yeah, uh, I definitely, you know, I, I definitely think that there's, there's some debate around this. But I think that if you run a, um, a certain time on a certified course, that you should be able to count it as your PR. Now, whether or not that that is an outlier compared to the rest of your performances and you want to, like, share that with people, that's up to you. Uh, You know, an honest, humble runner, I think, would do that, especially in conversations with people. They might say, oh, yeah, I ran, you know, 250 down the Revel race, but my actual or my other marathon PR is like 308. So, you know, obviously that's quite the quite the drastic difference. And we sometimes see that at those races Um, or a half marathon that might be like six or eight minutes faster. Um, but if it's like two, three, four, five five minutes, like chances are you, you know, you, you train well, you probably would have PR'd on a, on a, you know, average side, average course. Um, so there's really just, it's kind of boils down to, you know, your experience and your take on your training.
0: Yeah, it's funny because at the time we're recording this, I'm not sure at the time we're released, we've never done a downhill race. So I really, I mean, I've done races where there are, there is like a little bit of downhill um, or it's a net downhill, uh, you know, Marquette Half Marathon. There is a good stretch in there of about four miles. It's just like straight up down. Um, But then like you've seen the finish. It's like a mile uphill. It's ridiculous. So it's never one of those where it's completely flat or completely downhill. Marquette is the closest thing that I can say is, you know, is pretty pretty downhill. Um, another one that I've done quite a few times is the Monster Dash. Um, if you look at it on paper, it's about like a net 300 foot downhill. Um, but again, there's also uphill in this race. I mean, slight inclines here and there, but nothing as drastic as running down a mountain. Um, so I, I really like have no way of gauging the, the Revel races, But I I have had people in the past say stuff like, oh, that's a downhill course. When I say like, oh yeah, my PR in the half is Monster Dash. And it's like, well, it's only like 300 feet down, (laughs) you know, and there's there's uphill too, right? It's not like it's completely, you know, and and Boston is also one of those, it's actually a net downhill, I'm pretty sure. So that means that over the course of the Boston Marathon, there is more downhill than there is uphill. And so... You could say, well, if you PR the Boston Marathon, well, that's a, that's a downhill course. It's, it's like, is it really a downhill course? And that's why I don't really like to kind of put labels on it and be like, well, it a downhill course. Because it's like, that can mean so many different things. Um, and even like the Marquette one, well, it was mostly downhill, there was some uphill. So same with Revel. I've, I've had athletes that finish um, some of these Revel races, and they're mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, there was like this huge hill at mile, whatever. And I'm like, oh, so it wasn't all downhill. And so I think in that regards, it's like, you know, maybe we're we're judging things that we we don't really know, and so I think it's okay to, to claim it as your PR. You know, it's a certified course. And another thing to think about is that Boston accepts times from these races, and so it's a Boston qualifier course. Um, I've I've had a lot of athletes tell me that they are quite challenging, even you know veteran marathons or half marathoners. They go out there and they're like, "Whoa, that was really hard. There were some uphill, um, and it, it does really trash your legs running downhill. Not everyone is a great downhill runner. I think some runners really have that is a strength. If they have really strong quads, um, they can just fly down a hill. Whereas other people, I think, Jason, you're one of them, you don't really perform like that much better if it's a downhill. You're someone who can run really well on hills. So I think it's just depends on the athlete and. I still, obviously you're still doing it, right? You're still out there. You're still running, um, those sort of things. So it's hard for me to, to really say, but I do think, you know, obviously they're, they're fast courses to do if you're running downhill, but I don't think it means you have to like put an asterisk by, yeah. you know, your, your performances or whatever it may be. Um, so Jason, is that something that you look for when you are training for a race? Do you ever, uh, you know, what? Would you ever consider a PR at a downhill race, or is that something that you are like you wouldn't do a a downhill race when you're in shape because you you would want to be able to do it on a flat course? Or how do you feel about it?
1: No, I mean I would definitely consider going to one. Um, you know, when we think about most of these downhill races, they're in pretty um, pretty areas, right? Pretty picturesque. You're running down mountains, or you're in Utah, or you're in Oregon, you're in Colorado, and so. Um they're very scenic and I think that's what attracts a lot of people there and there's you know there's things to do in these areas too so you can make it a des- great destination um I would definitely give it a give it a go and um we tried to do one a few years back the Revel Rockies that ended up getting canceled um and you know I I wouldn't really care about if I did PR and you know whether or not I'm going to talk about that and brag about that like I'm just going for the experience um you know I yeah I definitely um, I want to do one just to kind of see what it's like. Cause like you mentioned, you have to be fit if you're going to run a PR on a course like that, because it does load your, your leg muscles differently, right? Like your quads are going to take a beating. And so if you haven't even prepared for those downhills at all, um, you, you very well could have a blow up race on a course like that. And so I think it's very important to, uh, prepare for the course that you're running on no matter the elevation change. Um, and it would be a fun thing to train for and to go see what it's like.
0: Yeah, definitely, I I agree. Um, something definitely I want to do on my bucket list, and now all these revel races are, are going on, and not a lot of other races are. So it, it's something that's attracting a lot of people, I think, especially. Just due to the area and you know the timing of everything, and I know they kind of upped some of the prices of of their races lately, just because they're some of the only events that are going on, and yeah, they're they're quite, quite spendy compared to what it used to be. But I think one of the best things you can do, um, for elevation, if you're someone who is being really particular about, um, the type of, of course that you want to run, let's say you really want a downhill course or a pancake flat, going to findmymarathon.com is a great way that you can just compare elevation profiles. You can also filter by Um, like fastest course, and there's like this little PR score that you can kind of navigate. Uh, You can filter by month and all these things. So I know that some of these races aren't really happening, but it gives you an idea for, you know, future and planning your race schedule, maybe even into next year, um, those sort of things. And I'm someone that's very selective with the types of races I'm willing to do because, you know, if you're traveling to these places, it's important to... You know, it's an investment, right? Like you're spending a lot of time on your training for months and months. You're spending time on, um, you know, traveling there to do the race. So you want to make sure that it's going to be in line with what you're expecting and the type of experience you want to have. So. I'm someone where I don't really want to travel to a hilly race because I don't really want to train for a hilly race, first of all. And second of all, I don't want to have like a bad experience. I want to, um, you know, go for a fast time and that sort of thing. And that's totally okay. And I think um, it's important to kind of talk about those things because that's how you can really get... The fastest possible time is if you are going for fast courses. Obviously, that's why there's a PR score on 5 Um, It's because you can run faster on faster courses. So with that being said, uh, training, there definitely is that investment aspect to training. And sometimes one of the best things that you can do is have specific workouts for the courses that you are training for and for your goals specifically. And working with a coach can can definitely help you with that. And we would love to get you started on a free seven-day trial for just learning about you as an athlete because we part of a process is that we want to get to know you as an individual. And in that process, we will do a time trial. We get to know exactly what you're training for. And we will give you training that is specific for the race that you're training for. So we know what these courses are like. We know what to expect at Boston. We know what to expect um, at a Revel Race. And we have ways to train you specifically for the courses, whether it's a downhill, uphill, pancake flat. And we incorporate that into your training. And I think it's really important to find a training plan and a coach that does these things because too often there's these cookie cutter plans out there. Uh, but really what we do here is very specific to each athlete and to the races that you're training for. And we know a lot about the different races and how to read these elevation charts. So if it's really overwhelming, um, that's something that we can definitely help with. So if that's something you're interested in, we would love to just chat, get to know you more. You can fill out the form on our website at www.runforprs.co. And we can get started on that free 7-8 trial right away. So thanks for tuning in.